Fantastic. So good to see you. Yeah, isn't it funny? I preach to you every week, and yet I'm nervous as. <laughs> That's weird as. Uh, I want God to do something. I want God to move. I want God to touch people this weekend. You know, this is not just, let's do it because we did it last year. Let's do it because we've done it for 10 years. Every year, God has something specific, something that He wants to do. And that's my heart. When I watched that opening video or the, watched the opening number and we saw the 10 years, I just started to cry because God is doing something. Each year builds on the last one. And so God is going to do something. So I want to show you a clip of our first one that I found this week in 2013. Have a look at this clip and see how far we've come. Have we come some way? Have we come some way? That was amazing. If I'm having to worship lead, we're in trouble. All right? And um, so uh, uh, I, I just, when you look at this screen, you look at the people, we look at what God has gifted us with. And we've always made it about us. It's never been about getting a crowd. It's never been about trying to get as many people here from everywhere. It's always been about the family getting together. So this is us. This is Emerge Church, and I'm excited. You know, we've had many themes over the years. We've had connection. That was the first one. Connection. Get connected. Right? That was the first one. And my favorite of all time was I just love the word sila. Right, which is a pause and, and meditate. And, and so I did this everywhere. I went, Selah. Who remembers Selah? Right, we did whole weeks about Selah. And I found all these Selahs in the book of Psalms and preached about all those things. Oh, I love that. Magnify, add, courage. You know, we've had all different things. But this year's theme is build. Because God is a builder. And each summer, sets up the next stage for what God is building through Emerge Church. Every summer builds something. It builds vision. It builds confidence. It builds competency. It builds faith. It builds belief. God is a builder. And God builds with your tomorrow in mind, not your yesterday. God thinks about your tomorrow when He does His building in your life. Every encounter you have with God, with Him, is about building. It's building you and it's building His kingdom if you let Him. So tonight, with a theme built squarely before us, I want to have a look at a book completely dedicated to building, God building. It's a book of Nehemiah and it's a story of Nehemiah rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem and thereby securing the future of the whole nation of Israel. I'm going to pray. Father, I pray that you would use what I'm going to say tonight to build something in people's lives, oh God. Father, I've had many thoughts I've put many things on a piece of paper, oh God. But Father, you need to now take this and make it work and make it live in people's hearts, in people's lives, oh God. So I pray, take the words that I'm saying tonight. Challenge people, 
Change people. Convict people, oh God. Father, allow your spirit to encourage and strengthen people today. Father, build people today through this word in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. How good is it, by the way, that for 10 years we've been going to Cambodia? I, I love that. God has given us the responsibility for that province of Bancho Miche on the border of Thailand there in Cambodia. We committed to that. We're going to be doing that for a long time. And one of the things that actually helps us is that we didn't just go in there, do something nice and then leave. The fact that we come back every year upon year and do something builds our credibility in the eyes of the Cambodians and opens up each time we go some new area because God is good. So tonight I want to show you a godly pattern for building. Whether you're building a marriage, a family, a career, a ministry, a business, or any of a thousand endeavors, God has a building plan, a pattern to follow. And each chapter of Nehemiah gives us just that little bit of a glimpse into God's building process. And it is a process. Nothing's just created. Nothing just appears. God works line upon line, precept upon precept. Even in the creation of the world, it took six days. God didn't just go bang and there was the whole world. No, day by day, line upon line, precept upon precept, word upon word, God through process created the world. Doesn't all happen at once. And as God builds you, he doesn't do it all at once. He does it line upon line. He does it over time and he uses the vagaries, the circumstances, the situations of your life to start building you into his likeness. So let's get into it. Now, Nehemiah has 13 chapters. So I've actually had to be very prudent in not reading the whole chapters. So I'm gonna narrate most of the story and at your own leisure, read the book. Make sure that you kind of just ask God, show me those things about building that are in the book. And I have to actually do that because I don't want to finish by midnight. If I just go through every chapter and make every point I've thought of, we're just going to be here till midnight. I don't want to do that. So I'm just going to take one point from each chapter. But if you take the time and read it yourself, there's so much more that you can garner. So chapter one, everyone say the word vision. vision. That's what you get out of chapter one. Nehemiah has a friend. His friend comes to him and tells him about the Jewish remnant that's been left in Jerusalem. He tells them how bad their situation is. You know, Judah and Israel, because of their disobedience to God, have been conquered by all the surrounding nations and they become slaves in foreign lands. But the really poor people, the people who had nothing, they were actually left in Jerusalem. And everything in Jerusalem is bad. And Nehemiah's friend tells him how bad it is there in Jerusalem. And this gets to Nehemiah. This sits in his stomach. He, he just can't let it go. He can't dismiss it. It gets into his spirit and it drives into prayer. Let's, let's look at what it says in verse three. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Everything of kingdom build, 
Everything of God builds starts in vision. But it's not a vision for your own self. It's not a vision for your own betterment. And you've got to be careful of a vision that promotes the self. You've got to be careful of a vision that's rooted in ego. Godly vision starts when you want to have a burden, in a sense, in your heart to better someone else, to help someone, to meet a need, to extend God's kingdom, not your kingdom. For example, if you're trying to build your marriage, but you can only think of how your spouse can meet your needs, that's not a great vision you're building on shaky ground. Godly vision comes when you want to make someone or something better. When you see a lack and you want to and you have the know-how how to address that lack. Godly vision comes when you want to meet the need of a other person, not when you want to meet your own goals, needs and desires. Godly vision is never selfish. Godly vision is never about yourself. If your vision is about making you larger, about making you more famous, about making you more prominent, that's probably not a vision from God. We don't want to have that sort of vision. We then go into chapter two. Everyone say the word courage. courage. Nehemiah is cupbearer to the king. His vision results in him having to take a risk. He's got to actually speak to the king. He has, I'm going to ask the king, I want to leave my position. I want to go to Jerusalem and I want to help the, the rebuild. This is actually risky. He's got to ask a ruthless king who cares less about God, who cares less about God's people, cares less about God's laws and probably sees the remaining Jews in Jerusalem as just troublemakers. He could easily have Nehemiah kind of executed for wanting to abandon his past. So let's read the scripture. Nehemiah 2, 12, 12. So the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you may send me to Judah to my father's grace that I may rebuild it. After getting a vision will always come a step of courage. God will always ask you to take a step of faith, right? Because you got to know, is this God sending me or is this just me sending me? If you really believe that your vision comes from God, then you'll easily take that risk. You'll easily take that step. If you think the vision comes from man, or you think then it's it's fear-based and you won't actually do that. You'll actually believe a man or a circumstance is in charge and then fear enters your heart and you become paralyzed. If you've got a vision, it's always a risk. If you've got a vision, there's always something that you need courage for. Nehemiah so trusts that he's heard from God that he's prepared to put his life on the line. He asks the king, And the king doesn't just give him permission, but he also gives him provision. And you'll be amazed at what will happen if you actually take the step of courage that God is asking you to take. So tonight I ask you, what courage do you need to show? What step of faith do you need to take? Do you need to speak to your boss? Do you need to speak to your spouse? Do you need to do some study, move something, change something? What step of faith do you need to take? 
When Nina and I were called to Brisbane, we were part of a large church and we needed to take a step of courage. I had to speak to my boss who was a scary man, but I trusted God's plan for my life. I knew that my boss was not gonna be happy that I was gonna say I wanted to go to Queensland. I was gonna leave the role that I'd been doing for so long in that church I'd been in for so long, but I, but I, I had to trust God's plan. And I literally had the idea, if he says no, I'm not gonna go. If he's gonna say no, I'm not gonna do it. But I didn't have to worry about that because God had spoken to us. I had to have the courage to go and actually speak. And though it hurt Ashley, uh, Pastor Ashley, though it hurt him, though he didn't want me to go, though it upset him, though he had a lot of reasons why it wasn't a good idea to go, he allowed me to go because he too knew that it was God. And when God, when you take that step of obedience in taking that step of courage, God will always come true. See, Proverbs says this, the heart of the king is in the Lord's hands. You know, at the end of the message tonight, I'm gonna pray for people who are in that place that need to take that step of courage. Let's continue building. Chapter three is hard work. Say it with me. Ooh, the work begins. People are placed in a position, teams are built, and things of the wall are starting to get built, but it takes work, hard work. Nehemiah 3, verse three, the sons of Hassanah built the fish gate. They laid his beans and set his doors, his bolts, his bars. And next to Merrimah, the son of Uriah, the son of Haggis, repaired. And next to them, Meshalem, the son of Bechiah, son of Meshavah, repaired. And next to them, the son of Banana, prepared. Did I get that wrong? <laughs> the whole of chapter three is like that. That's all it talks about. It talks of building, repairing, restoring with all these really long names. It's not walk in the park. This is rebuilding. This is a slog. It's just plain old get down and dirty hard work. And I wanna tell you, your vision, your building, what God wants to do in your life is gonna take some hard work. The kingdom is about work. It doesn't just happen. Jesus said to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers. He doesn't say pray to the Lord of the harvest to send a consultant. He doesn't say pray to the Lord of the harvest to send a planner or an accountant or a philosopher. No, he says send laborers. If you think that the vision that God's placed in your heart is gonna be easy, that's not gonna require work, it's not gonna require effort, then you're fooling yourself. To do what God has asked you to do is gonna require some hard work. See, nothing just happens. God blesses the fruit of your labor. Proverbs tells us, in all hard work, there is profit. Young people, listen to me. Work hard, get a job. Don't be daydreaming about being in the ministry and God making a way. Do something. Work your 40 hours and then come and serve in church. Yes. All the mums and dads. Amen. Understand every time the boss yells at you, God's developing you, working on you, molding you. There's a culture of laziness in the world right now. We want it all for free, we want it all easy, but it's not the truth. As a Christian, as a person who comes to a merged church, 
I want you to be the hardest worker in your workplace. It's hard work. And then to be honest, it's at the start. Because at the start where the real work happens. It's at the start where the work is the hardest. Foundation digging is the hardest. Getting the ground ready and soft to to receive the seed is the hardest work. The getting the ground ready for the seed, the digging of the foundation is always harder than the receiving of the harvest. Right? We gotta do the work. If you want your vision to come to pass, don't be afraid of hard work. Chapter four, opposition. Say it with me. Nothing you build for God comes for free. There's always gonna be doubters. There's always gonna be the insecure. There's always gonna be the naysayers, the opponents of what God is doing. Don't be surprised. Don't be dismayed. Four verse one. Now when Sambalat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged and he jeered at the Jews and he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Tobiah, the Amorite, was beside him. He said, ha, yes, what are they building? If a fox got up on it, it would break down their stone wall. The opposition comes, but it's designed by the enemy. And what it does is come and aim at stealing your confidence, stealing your confidence that God is doing this. It makes you doubt, is God really with me? Look at Tobias torn. I love this. A, a fox walking on it would make it fall. I want to tell you, with, with the many times that I've been building something and starting something from scratch in the kingdom, at the beginning, I always feel like this thing is being held to, together with chicken wire. This thing is so, so fragile. It could fall over so easily. It's barely holding together. If one thing just happened, everyone will just leave. It would just be horrible. I I've actually learned to recognize it and I've seen that as part of God's building process. See, when you're building something, you will go through a time when the only thing holding it together is prayer and hard work. The one thing did fail, right? The whole thing would fail, but I wanna say it never does. It may be like if a fox jumped on, it may be like if something small happened that it would all be done. But I wanna tell you, it's never done. That's just part of the process where you have to go back to God in trust, in prayer, in fasting and saying, God, you're with me. You're building this. Unless the Lord builds this house, we're just building in vain. It prides you and directs you to God. You know, I I found that, that when someone comes to me now and I talk to many pastors all the time, I try and see two pastors a week just to encourage them. And I talk to them, I try and encourage them and say, if you feel like it's all fragile, you're on the right track. God is doing something and I, and I bring encouragement. I recognise that's how God builds. The opposition doesn't work for Sam Ballot or Tobiah because Nehemiah just continues to build. But because of that, he's actually forced to make some changes, to do things a little bit different. When it starts to be a bit fragile, when it starts to be, what it means is that like, I'm gonna try this. I'm gonna try that. I'm gonna try this over here. 
what happens is your opposition, when you go to God, will always help you become better at what it is you're trying to build. So don't see the opposition as negative. See it as God's opportunity to make you better at what you're doing. Don't give up. Don't call into a ball. Stand up and use the opposition to actually make you better. Chapter five is about servanthood. Does everyone say As I said before, nothing you build for God will be without his challenges. It will cost you something. The work of the wall is going on. Things are good. Things are beginning to happen. But then there's a problem, an internal problem. Though Nehemiah is a man of great integrity, some of his leaders aren't. To pay the king's tax, yes, that king that had sent Nehemiah in the first place had a tax on all the people. And it was a very onerous tax. It was a very heavy tax. And so what would do, people would have to borrow money. But they wouldn't borrow money. They'd have to borrow money from other Jews. They would mortgage their houses and some even sold themselves into slavery. Not to the other nations, but to fellow Jews. This was a great injustice. And Nehemiah challenges them. Nehemiah 5.9. So I said, the thing that you're doing is not good. Ought you not walk in the fear of our God to listen why? To prevent the torts of the nations of our enemy. That's why we've got to treat one another well, my friends. Because as we treat each other well, as we love one another, the people of the world see there's something different in this place in the place where they are. Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. God's never happy where there's injustice. Nehemiah steps up challenges them to no longer oppress the poor and to look after God's households. He not only tells them to stop, but he himself uses all the money that the king had given him so he could do all right. He uses all his own money for all the years that he's there to feed everyone else. Doesn't use it to feed himself. He uses it to feed everyone else. Building the wall was of great personal cost to Nehemiah. And if you're going to build something for God, there's always going to be a personal cost. If you're building a marriage, it might be that you've got to put aside your needs for a time. If it's study, it might mean that you've got to maybe not go out with your friends every weekend. Right? If you're saving for a house deposit, maybe it means you just can't go to restaurants all the time. It's probably better to eat vegetables at home. If it's in ministry, right, maybe it's your personal time and space as you share your life with others who are constantly looking at you and to you. See, Jesus got up early every morning and he went out into a place to pray by himself so that when everyone else was awake, he would be there ready to minister. He paid the price. He paid the price so that he could minister Nehemiah, like Jesus, didn't come to be served, but to serve. Chapter six, intimidation. Everyone say intimidation. Intimidation. Sambala and Tobiah, those enemies, they're the enemies of rebuilding the wall. They're really mad now because all their things hadn't worked. Their threats and, and proclamations, they didn't achieve anything. So they start sending intimidatory letters full of lies threatening Nehemiah. 
they lie to him and they say, Nehemiah, we're gonna tell the king that you're trying to set yourself up as king and that you wanna rebel against the king. And we're gonna tell him. But Nehemiah, he's just way smarter than them. And he sends to them, he says, 6 verse eight, then I sent to him saying, no such things as you say have been done for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us thinking their hands will be dropped from the work and it will not be done. But now, oh Lord, strengthen my hands. When you're building something, there's always what ifs. And intimidation is always what if. It's never the actual thing. It's the threat of the thing. And intimidation has one goal, is to get you to drop your hands. You know, if you're a boxer, the thing they tell you all the time is keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. If you're in a fight and the intimidation comes, keep your hands up. The intimidator wants you to drop them down to leave yourself exposed. So don't drop your hands. Don't give up or give in. So don't see the feeling, though, of giving up as a negative. Because anyone who's built something of significance, I promise you, has felt like giving up. But do what Nehemiah did. Go to God. He's the one to go to. Everything is overwhelming if you, go, if you don't go to God. But if you go to God, nothing is too overwhelming. Look at what is intimidating you, not as being against you, but against being against what God wants to do. That's the massive difference. What may overcome you will never overcome God. That's David's retort to Goliath. You're not fighting me, you're fighting God. And that's a battle no one can win. You're doing God's work, so let God deal with your intimidations. Chapter seven, the mundane, say it with me. I don't like this one. After the wall was being built, God puts it into Nehemiah's heart to take a census. And from verse seven to 73, like that's like 67 verses, right? It says this, basically. It says, the number of the men of Israel, the sons of Parosh, 2,172. The sons of Shepatiah, right, is 372. The sons of Arah, 652. 67 verses of names and numbers. Boring. That's boring. I want to say, not everything is exciting. If you need it to be, you're cooked. Some days are just days. Some days don't offer you any great victories or any terrible defeats. Some days purpose is the only purpose for that day is to get you to the next day. In a world where everything is awesome, right? <laughs> Understand that some days are just work. Some days are just dull. Some days are just average. Some are just the same. And if you can't deal with seasons of the mundane, you will never achieve much. It's not always gonna be exciting at work. It's not always gonna be thrilling. It's not always gonna be life-changing at church. It's, it's not always gonna be amazing being married. I don't always just wanna run into Nina's arms, you know, in slow motion. Sometimes I think, oh man, if I tell her that, she's gonna ask me 48 questions, right? So I don't tell her. Yeah. Confession time. <laughs> Sometimes it's just dull being a parent, being a student, 
Some days you just get through. Some seasons are just boring. Get through it. But I want to say, don't become cynical in those times. Because God is just around the corner and He's going to come and give you a time of celebration. Which leads me to chapter 8. Everyone say with me, celebration. Celebration. Nehemiah now gathers the people and Ezra the priest comes and he reads in the book of the law. Everyone's blessed. It's a time of celebration, a time to give glory to God. A time to be grateful to God for what He has done and how He has used you. We just heard about the mundane, but there also has to be times of celebration. Our relationship with Jesus and the kingdom of God is like any relationship. There's times when it's mundane and there's times when it's exciting and a celebration. Too much of either is actually a wrong expectation. So let's read Nehemiah 8, 9. The day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to go your way, eat the fat. Oh, I like that. Drink the sweet wine. Send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our God. Do not be grieved. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Nehemiah's got to a place where his voice is heeded. It's listened to. It carries weight. That's because fruitfulness gives you authority. If you want influence, if you want credibility, if you want people to hear what you have to say, be someone who's competent. Competency is underrated today. Nehemiah had done it. He'd rebuilt the wall. He'd gone through a courage test. He'd worked hard. He'd kept his integrity. He had dealt with opposition, both external and internal. He'd survived the mundane. Nehemiah was competent. Building something with competency, a marriage, a ministry, a career, a good reputation, is incredibly influencing. Why do I love Pastor Danny so much? Because for 40 years, I've seen this man just have a kingdom first attitude. I've seen him go through some of the worst things anyone could go through that you wouldn't wish upon your worst of enemies and stand for God. He's been incredibly competent in all that he does. No matter what he says to me, I'm gonna listen because he's built a credibility of years of fruitfulness. Competency is an underrated value and is something that we should all be wanting to have. As Proverbs says, he who is skilled in his work will not stand before unknown men. You want influence? Build something and the competency that you acquire will make room for you. Chapter nine, testimony. Say it with me. And the celebration of the priests, stirred by God and what has been achieved, they begin to testify of the goodness of God. They have a story to tell. They tell the story of the children of Israel, beginning with Abram, and they finish with the exile. A story of a good God. A story of a God who stood by them through the good and the bad. A God who had fought for them. A God who had delivered them. A God who provided for them and protected them, but had also disciplined them. This is a God who keeps His promises. Let's read. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abraham and brought him out of Ur, the Chaldeans, and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made him the covenant to give to his offspring the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, Perizzite, Jebusite, the Gigazite, and the Vegemite. And they gave you a promise, for you are righteous. Such an old joke, but it never gets, it always gets a laugh. 
The story was done through praise. When you build God something, when you build according to God's plan, there's always something to praise God for. Not just for the good, but in the bad, in the lack and in the abundance. And you want to tell your story. We begin every staff meeting with stories of testimonies of what God is doing in our church. And we've never had a day where it's like, oh, sorry, God didn't do anything this week. Right? God is always moving. There's always stories within our three locations, within our departments, within different areas of our church. There's always a story. We call it fruit because this is a year of fruit. Amen. Right, we want you got to tell a story. It's fruit. So how's your story? How long when someone speaks to you? Is it before your story comes out? Before something that God has done in your life comes out? When we're building something for God, there's always a story coming out of us. Say chapter 10, say the word order. God is a God who turns disorder into order. In the beginning, the Bible says that God's spirit hovered over the void and the formless. And, and God, with a word, began creating. God brought order into disorder. My life was a complete mess. And then I met Jesus. God brought order into disorder. Jerusalem was in disorder. And God says, Nehemiah, to create order. And now an order has been created. There's now order. And then there's many verses, but I'll just read one of them. We also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of our God. See, order and process is established. There's now a way of doing things. A, a culture has been created. What was, what was once felt and intuitive is now a process. This is to make sure that things last. See, when you build something for God, it can't always be that a little fox jumping on it is gonna make it fall. That's how it is at the start. But once you started to build, once you started to go through the different things that you have to go through, once you start allowing the process of God, you've actually built something. So there's order. When I first started here as a pastor, I cared about everything. I cared about where the chairs were. I cared about what songs were chosen. I cared about what people on the stage are wearing. I remember sending a girl home because I didn't like what she wore. I thought, you look like you went to the shops, right? Dress properly, right? If you're gonna sing for the Lord. I was pretty tough back then. Much nicer person now, right? I would care about all of those things. But I wanna say, it's not like that now. I didn't know the songs that were being sung tonight. I hadn't, I, I, I've got people that God has given to me. There's, there's, there's culture now. And that's what order is. It's the culture that is now set. I like the culture that we have here at Emerge Church. I believe it's a culture of authenticity. I believe it's a lack of judgment culture. I believe it's a kingdom first culture. I believe it's a preferring of one another culture, a sit and serve culture, an inviting and salvation culture. See, when you build something for God, you get to a place where it's established. Yeah. And it's now established. So chapter 11 is this, calling. Everyone say calling. calling. 
11 verse 1, we're getting to the end. And it's not even 10.30. All right. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of 10 to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of 10 remained in the other towns. Nehemiah, who's now built Jerusalem, who's now put the walls there and got all the order and and made it work, he now needs to populate Jerusalem. And, And I like this. And I believe that this thought is gonna free many people in this room tonight. See, in church, we can make it seem, and as a pastor of the church, I've always gotta be careful of my language and how I communicate so I don't do this, but we can make it seem that the only important people in the church are those who hold a position. Those that are actually doing something in the church are of real value to God. But that's nonsense, Right? It's nonsense. Not every one of you is called to be a leader or a pastor. Right? What if everyone in this church is called to be a pastor? Who would I pastor? Right? I can go. Some people, as it says in this, just live in the towns. They're not in Jerusalem. One out of ten. Some people here, God's asking you to build your life. Be a teacher. It's not bad. Live in the town. Only one in 10 needs to come. You understand? Right? Be a teacher. Work in a bank. Run your business. Be a truck driver. Work as a soldier in the army. God's not asking you to be a leader. Be free of that. If you are one in the 10, then be obedient. But if you're not, enjoy church. Be refreshed, be encouraged, get trained in church and go out and be Jesus to the hundreds of people I'm never gonna meet. Right, that's, that's freeing. Don't feel, if God hasn't put it on your heart, that somehow you have to do it. God will put it on your heart, respond to that. Some people tonight need to make their peace that God loves you just as much doing the job that you're doing Then he does me who's pastoring this church. I'm not better than anyone else. I'm just another sinner who needs the grace of God that God has asked me to do this job. May it never be at a merged church. May it never be at a merged church that someone is is considered more acceptable to God because of the position that they hold. Almost there. Chapter 12, completion. Someone with me? What God intended has been built and it's functioning. Ezra comes and he dedicates the work of God. He dedicates the finished work. It's glorious. The city and its walls have been real bit. It's populated, it's functioning. And the people have an amazing party. Listen to it. Verse 43, and they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. You know what's remarkable about this chapter? A chapter dedicated to the successful and prosperous completion of Nehemiah's work is that Nehemiah in the 47 verses of this chapter of celebration is never mentioned. Because it's never been about Nehemiah. It's never been about building what Nehemiah wanted to do. It's always been about what God wanted to do. What a humble man. 
In the beginning, when he first receives a vision, it wasn't about himself, but how he could better the people in Jerusalem. And now that it's all done and it's finished and completed, it's still all about giving God the praise. When we build for God, it always ends up glorifying God. It will always end up glorifying God more than glorifying ourselves. It's never been about ourselves. The vision that God wants to build in our lives hasn't been about us. It's always been about the kingdom. It's always been about God. Chapter 12 is a testimony of what God has done, not what Nehemiah has done. And I just love that. There always has to be that spirit of humility. And so we're finally at the end. Chapter 13, everyone say with me, eyes open. It's done now. It's working as God wanted. There's peace, there's prosperity in the land. But what happens? The people sin again. They forget God, and just like their ancestors who turned against God, who got in trouble, who were put in the exile right there in the beginning, they, in the first place, they begin to do things God's way, sorry, their own way and not God's way. Nehemiah 13, 17. Then I confronted the nobles of Judah, and I said to them, what is this evil thing that you are doing profaning the Sabbath day? Did you not... Did, did not your fathers act in this way? And did not our God bring all this disaster upon us on this city? Now you're bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. We can never settle. There will always be a war between our spirit and our flesh. These issues in chapter 13 are started by the descendants of Sambala and Tobiah, the very ones who before had brought trouble to Nehemiah, right? There's always, no matter how successful, how strong we get, we always need to be aware of our little weaknesses. We need to be aware of the flesh that still remains in all of us. Galatians tells us we will never be free from the battle within the flesh and the spirit. I'm gonna put it like this and the band's gonna come. See, when you move into a house on day one, my father taught me this. Yes, it's amazing, it's beautiful, it's perfect, it's, it's so exciting, it's, it's wonderful. But if you don't continually and consistently work on it, then what happens, it falls into disrepair. There's daily jobs like cooking, weekly jobs like putting out the garbage, monthly jobs like mowing the lawn, yearly jobs like fixing a broken door, and some jobs need to be done every 10 years, like getting the painting the outside. But if you do your bit every day, you keep your house a beautiful house. It's the same with what God's building in our lives. We need to consider God every day. We need to be in fellowship once a week. We need to be serving, not just sitting in God's house once a month. We need to go on a fast and, or some discipline, spiritual discipline once a year. And we need to maybe make some big changes in our lives every 10 years because our lives move on. Who you are at 40 is different than who you are at 20. Who you are at 60 is who you're different to where you are at 30. And so we have to make changes every 10 years so we are at the stage where we're at. There's ever-changing stages of our lives. We have to do those things. And so we always have to be aware. We have to have our eyes open. So tonight, I want us to stand right now. Started with vision. 
took a step of courage, hard work, opposition, servanthood, intimidation, the mundane, celebration, testimony, order, calling, completion, and eventually eyes open. Tonight, on our first night, I want us just to close our eyes. And tonight, you know, we are gonna have times of God doing great things. And we, we got some issues tonight with just with time. So we're gonna, I, I just feel that I do wanna pray for people. I know it's late. But tonight, if God is building something, something that I spoke about tonight, just touch your heart. I want you just to raise your hand. Oh, Holy Ghost. Many people just raise their hands right now. Father, you're wanting to build something. Father, different things that, that you spoke in people's lives tonight. Father, I, I pray right now that those who need to take a step of courage would do so, O oh God. Father, those that are facing opposition right now, O oh God, would Father have the wherewithal to withstand, O oh God. Father, those that are facing intimidation, I come against intimidation right now. Father, let them see you and your greatness, your largeness, who you are, oh God. Father, you are mighty. You are mighty. Father, I pray that people would dedicate themselves right now to building something. Father, there are those the Father, they, they've got vision, but they don't know how to take that first step. If that's you, you want to raise your hand. You've got vision, but how do I take that first step? Father, I pray, speak to them, oh God. Father, show them the next step, oh God. Father, they see that need. They, they see that thing, oh God. But they don't know what to do next, oh God. Father, show them right now in Jesus' name. Show them what courage step they need to take. Oh, Father, I ask in Jesus' name. Father, wherever we're at in that step of building, in that stage of building, Father, Lord, I pray, help people take the next step. Help people take the next step. Father, as a church, we ask you to take us to the next step, oh God, to the next stage, oh God. Father, we, know, we don't wanna be stagnant. We don't wanna be still. We want you to continually build the kingdom through us, oh God. So Father, tonight we come to you humbly, oh God. We come to you, oh God, with a, with a soft spirit, oh God. A soft spirit, oh God. A soft spirit, oh God, that you would do something, oh God. Use us as a merged church. In our first summit, oh God, we were just one location. On our 10th summit, oh God, we are in three locations, oh God. You are doing work all over the north side of Brisbane, oh God through us. Father, into Bancho Micha there in Cambodia and in other places around the world. Build your kingdom through us, oh God. Build your kingdom through us, oh God. We just ask that in Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen. Amen.